What's up, guys? Welcome to Quick Sticks. I am one of your hosts, Matt. With me is James. How are we doing, James? Pretty good, pretty good. Good. Sam is our third host who couldn't make it tonight, but he will be on future episodes. Uh, this is our very first episode, so bear with us as we get a grasp on the whole podcast thing. Um, but we're going to be coming to you guys every week during the PLL season and postseason to bring you guys everything Premier Lacrosse League related. A uh, little background on us. The three of us have been friends since, what, middle school? And I've always had a passion for lacrosse. Uh, two of us played in high school. James here actually even played D1 lacrosse at Wingate University. So pretty experienced. I appreciate uh, the shout-out, decided... man. It was, it was D2, though, but I appreciate the shout-out. Uh, <laughs> they didn't need to know that. But um, but no, we decided to start this podcast. We talked with a few friends, and we really couldn't find a podcast that talked about everything PLL-related but also just kind of intro the sports in general for anyone who's just getting into it or just starting to watch the PLL. Uh, if you guys don't know, the PLL is in their third season right now. It's growing very fast. Um, it's getting super competitive. So we want to make sure you guys get all the content you want. Um, this is Quick Sticks. We are going to keep it quick. Every episode will be under 30 minutes. Um, so again, let's jump right into it. First game we had coming out of the All-Star break, we had a pretty good week in the games um archers redwoods i have to say this was probably my game of the week and we're starting it off with a bang um story of the game was spreading the ball around for the archers and on the flip side it was turnovers for the redwoods for the archers you had eight players recording at least one point uh marcus hallman and tom schreiber were your leaders i don't know if you guys saw marcus hallman's nearside stinger from gle but it was one of the filthiest shots. I've Absolutely seen. insane. Absolutely. It insane. was disgusting. Absolutely insane. Um, oh, their entire offense, it was a lot of high ball screens, getting the matchups they want. I mean, the coach played it to a T on offense. Redwoods cannot hang with them on defense at all. Archer's attackmen were literally walking to the crease, getting easy shots. Their percentage on goal was incredibly high. And then you look at the Redwoods, who had 23 turnovers compared to 14 for the Archer's. Um, the crazy thing about this game was TD dominated on faceoffs. The dude won 75% of faceoffs. So the Redwoods got possessions. They were just, I mean, the Archers were forcing them to take bad shots, but I mean, I got to give it to the Archers defense. They played great. I specifically watched Latrell Harris on Miles Jones. He covered him for a good amount of the game, held him to zero goals, one assist, which if you know anything about Miles Jones, that's quite a feat to do. Absolutely. Um, so what I watched for on the Redwoods offense was how they played against the Archers transition defense. Archers, their transition defense has been one of the best in the league, um, and they 100% stepped up to the plate. They held Sergio Perkovic to four points, Rob Pinnell to two points, and again, Miles Jones to one point. Um, defense played fantastically. Adam Gittleman was insane in the crease. He was incredibly aggressive actually stepped out of the crease a few times to pick up ground balls um he had some just insane saves from shots right in front of the crease he had 15 saves total uh for me it was a very proving game for the archers especially heading into the playoffs i don't see how they're definitely my favorite right now heading in the postseason i don't know how they're not yours but um they they might be i'm so glad you brought up the face-off stuff because TD is dominating, and I've been trying to figure out what is holding the Redwoods back because you guys always have the ball, but then you made the point about turnovers. 
And that's the difference right there. They always have the ball. That's not a question. TD is the best faceoff guy in the league, winning, I think, 66% this year or something like that. So for the Redwoods not to win almost every single game um, is kind of insane. But turnovers is obviously the issue. I think Gittleman played the best game he has all season, maybe his entire PLL career, as far as making plays around the cage, obviously saves in tight, all that. But I think something that you noted on that was very important is the Archer short stick defensive middies. They have athletes across the board that are almost as good as having a pole on there. So as we get deeper in the playoffs, I always talk about the Redwoods matchup problems because it's Perkovic, it's Miles, it's Kyle Harrison, now it's even Jules Henningberg. I think the only team that can actually match step for step for that is a team like the Archers that has arguably the, the, the best and the most athletic defensive midfielders in the whole league. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, my MVP for this game, it was so hard to pick an MVP just because, I mean, it obviously had to be someone from Archers. I went with Ryan Ambler. He had a hat trick. Um, so did Hallman, I believe, or maybe it was Amon. But really, Ryan Ambler, it was the timing of his goals that were what made him stand out. He scored back-to-back goals when the game was tied 12-12, to like both goals within 90 seconds. Um, that made it 14-12, and then right after that, Marcus Holman had that nasty goal near side, which was 15-12, right there's ball game. I mean, he that, just the entire offense was just lights out that game. And Marcus's shot, the goalie knew he only had one place to put it, right? Like, as he's winding up, the goalie is, <clears throat> like, baiting him to go high, knowing, like, okay, I'm only going to give him high and tight, and he took it and, and he stung it, which was absolutely crazy. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think uh, – like, that angle aside, I don't think people realize how hard it is to shoot near side low to high. Exactly. It, it sticks exactly. out on the goalie. And there's exactly. such a Especially tiny pot Adam spot Gittleman. that you can put that Exactly. Shot. And Adam Gittleman knew that, and he baited him into it, and he took it. Dude. Oh, my gosh. So I'm curious, disgusting. what do you think about Amler? Like, he's the least flashy guy I've seen, but he – I mean, he's consistent, right? Like he's, I don't know if he's a great Dodger. I don't know if he's a great shooter, but he really gets it done. So like, what do you, what do you I, think I, is, what yeah. makes him so good? I feel like he's kind like, if he was in the NBA, he'd be on the Spurs under Greg Popovich. He's just a fundamental guy. He's, he's a not system flashy. guy. Yeah. Like he, he's always in position. He knows how to get open. And then True. when he does get the ball, it's always a quick shot. It's never something he's not. I'm not going to say he's the best Dodger because he's not. I think Amon and a few other guys are much better. But right. when he gets the ball with a little bit of space, he makes use of it. So I think he's not the best player. He makes the best play, right? Yes, exactly. So I think okay. in the playoffs, what we've seen in the PLO is you have to have that dark horse kind of step up aside from your superstars. And I think Ambler's that guy. A hundred percent. I think, I mean, it's even crazy to think that we're talking about that when the Archers, I don't think they need any more stars on that team. No. But. I mean, Grant Amen has played obviously a great season, but he always has these like quiet five, six point games because of the talent around him. Yeah, absolutely. So it was a good game. Um, way to start it off. So next up, we had Chaos Chrome. James, why don't you give us your recap and what you saw this game? Gotcha. So the Chaos Chrome game was awesome. Um, I think we're, we're going to go a little bit into kind of which fans we are of each team, but Chaos is my team. I, I love them. They've changed a lot this year, but the biggest things I saw in this game were the chaos were about 48% from the X and the Chrome were 52. And that's very close, much closer to the game that you were talking about. But I think the difference here was the wing play. The chaos have really good guys on the wing that can pick up ground balls quickly. And the Chrome turned over the ball a couple of times after they won faceoffs. So, and this is something I think I told you last season as a chaos fan, I keep saying they can't rely on blaze. I think 
having your entire defense give up shots, knowing that Blaze is going to save them, is going to come back to bite them. And I think at this point, I have to admit that I was just wrong. I mean, every game he has more than 15 saves. He had 20 saves this game. He was 67%. He had 50 shots on him, dude. 50. I mean, after a while, you kind of got to think, you know, maybe it's been not break. So he was, I mean, he stood on his head as he normally does, which which meant the chaos weren't rotating exactly how they should. But honestly, it didn't matter. Um, Game was up and down a lot quicker than a lot of the past games I've had. I think a dark horse for the chaos was Chase Frazier. You probably don't know who that is. Chase Frazier is, he was Buffalo's second round selection. He was 13th overall in the 2016 NLL entry draft. He went to Newman University. He's a Canadian. But the thing about him is he's 6'3", 205. He has great hands inside. And I think this move to him going to attack might change like everything. He had, I think, three points, but he plays in that box Canadian style, just like Dean Smith and the other guys they have on their team. And he really fits well. So between Dean Smith, between Chase Frazier and those Canadian guys, that's kind of how they won the game. Um, I think as far as the other side of the fence, which is the Chrome, um, they have Kevin Rogers, which I don't know if you knew this, but he went to Loudoun County, um, and he had three goals. That. Yeah, he was very good. And then Dylan Malloy had his first game of the season. Remember, he was the guy who in the Huge 2017 playoffs, exactly, in the Brown game, that he played on a broken foot and still ate. Now, he only had four points. It was a quiet four points. But for him to already kind of you know let the game come to him, he had some great finishes inside. I think for the Chrome moving forward, that's going to be a really big pickup for them. Um, as far as MVP, I had Chris uh, Cloutier, which if everybody doesn't know, his name is kind of hard to say. Everyone's been saying it incorrectly his career. He told the PLL this has to stop now. We used to say Cloutier, but it's Cloutier. I used to say Cloutier, yeah. Yeah, so he had four goals and four assists. He is incredible. He played off ball. He actually caused a lot of turnovers on rides. He set awesome picks. And that backhanded shot, remember the backhanded shot he did at UNC? Oh, yeah. I think he's actually perfected that and does it better now, and he has more speed on it. So, I mean, he, he honestly dominated. He made eight points. He was everywhere all, all over the field. But as far as, like, the game in its entirety and, like, the chaos are really running a Canadian offense. For our listeners who don't really, like, watch a lot of lacrosse, the Canadians play a lot of indoor style. They only use one hand regardless of where they are in the field. So that's where you see a lot of the one-handed flips and that kind of thing because they, if they're right-handed, they only have the stick in the right hand the whole time. And it's great to play indoor. Um, it's, it's nice that we kind of have this, like, mix of indoor-outdoor now, and that's kind of what the chaos are running. So what I think is going to make them dangerous is getting Mac O'Keefe involved in all this Canadian work because they use Mac O'Keefe just like the Warriors use Steph Curry. Steph Curry goes and finds a bigger guy to kind of set a pick for, so then we get a switch, so the big guy can't, you know, block Steph Curry's step back. But Mac O'Keefe has, like, a same sort of step back he does, but all he does is he pushes inside with his left hand, backs up a little bit, and that's all he needs as the all-time leading scorer in college when he was at Penn State. So as the season goes on, I really think the chaos have hit their stride at a good time. As long as Blaze stays hot, which he has, I, I actually see these guys making a good push and a good run with the addition of the guys like uh, Chase Frazier, big Canadian side. So it was a good game. Final game, final score was 14-12. to 12. The uh, Chrome had a crazy comeback at the end of the game, scored about six goals in the fourth quarter, but it just wasn't enough. They didn't have time, and they didn't have the ball enough. So 14-12 chaos. Yeah, you know, I, I saw the final score, which was kind of misleading because sure. when you look going into the fourth quarter, the chaos had a pretty dominant lead. So – Absolutely. I mean, you look at guys like Jared Newman, Dean Smith, like you were saying, like 
their defense, their offense is clicking, but their defense is also coming alive. I mean, holding a team like Chrome, who's pretty strong offensively to what seven goals through three quarters is, is quite yep. an accomplishment. So, I mean, very much so chaos just clinched a playoff spot. I certainly wouldn't count them out no matter who they're playing. It's just, I mean, it's blaze, man. It's blaze. I mean, I, like my last thing here is as long as blaze stays blazing hot, they can do it. Wow. Love that. That was nice. So, <laughs> it was. I mean, it was. It was a good game. Good game overall. So I hope. I hope everyone gets a chance to uh, to catch that one. It's a really, really good up and down game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving on. Next game we had was Water Dogs Whip Snakes. Uh, this was a huge game between two of the top seeds so far. Massive game. So this game, first quarter, I was like, Whip Snakes defense is playing great. They're gonna blow through this team because my only concern was the only way the Whip Snakes lose this game is because of their defense. First quarter started off great. Second quarter, okay. Completely fell apart in the second half. Um, granted, you're covering guys like Ryan Brown, Ryan Conrad. The Whipsnakes had no one who could cover them. They both had hat tricks. Um, Kieran McCardle, Ethan Walker were dishing passes to guys that were wide open for easy shots. McCardle's but awesome. I know, dude. He's very good. He's very good. Oh, my very God. Good. Very good. But even when you look at things besides goals and assists, look listen to these stats. Water Dogs won ground balls forty seven to thirty eight. Pretty good margin. Okay. Water right. Dogs won faceoffs, nineteen faceoffs total. Water Dogs won fourteen of the nineteen. Whipsnakes yeah. won five of them. Then you wow. look at Dylan Ward and Net, nineteen saves, seventy six save percentage. Water Dogs literally dominated this game in every aspect possible. Um Wow. Again, Water, Water Dogs offense is, is one of the best in the league. They put up a crazy amount of goals every game. But, again, all it takes is one ball screen, and whoever you want that matchup to be is on the wing just wide open for a shot. And it's, it, it's, it's guys who are not missing the cage when they want to. It's, right. They're putting it Very wherever accurate. they want. Yes. Very accurate. And I think we talked about this before. I, I really think that Water Dogs team is just like that Atlanta Hawks team that everyone was just so confused how they kept moving forward. They have pieces and they have every piece you need. I mean, they have solid attackmen that can pass. They have good dodging midfielders. They might not have the best at their position, but they have everything they need. And I've watched every Water Dogs game from when we talked that one time about why are the Water Dogs so good? One, they play really hard. Like they, I would say they ride harder than any other team in the league right now. And other than that, they just they just have pieces, and they have really good attack. When I think McCardell is like, he's a really good quarterback. He's a great quarterback for that offense. Yeah. And oh, absolutely. I don't know why. You know, it, it's hard because they don't have those big flashy names that we see on TV all the time. But at the end of the day, the Water Dogs are are very much possible championship team. Very much. I, so I will say, if you're just getting into the PL Hill this year, and you're looking for, there are some people who think lacrosse is boring sport to watch. That's fine. You obviously don't understand the rules, but that's okay. Correct. If that's you, the Water Dogs are the team you need to watch because yep. their offense is electric. I mean, some of the, the plays they make behind the back goals, just the feeds they get right in the crease is just insane, especially Ryan Brown. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> it's, 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 some of those goals make no sense. None. They do and it every week. What did you say Dylan Ward was percentage-wise? Uh, 19 saves, 76 save percentage. Wow, because I'm – I'm honestly not a big Dylan Ward guy. I thought that was one of their weaknesses was in that, but it looks like he played a big game, you know, that day. And I guess the biggest question now is from a whip snakes perspective and a fan, what happens one, when Rambo comes back, what happens two, 
when they get gutter day. So obviously, yeah, not having Rambo's is a huge. I mean, this isn't right this now, isn't the same Whipsnakes team. I mean, it's not. No, it's not. So if you guys didn't see earlier today, Chrome traded Justin Gutterding to the Whipsnakes for Ryan Grill. Um, just another piece for that offense. I mean, yeah, once they get Rambo back, Gutterding's probably going to start. I mean, and then do you put a team that could be completely revamped at offense heading into the postseason? Right. I saw I saw Diggs tape today on Twitter. If you guys don't know who Diggs tape is, please give him a follow. He's oh absolutely top tier lacrosse, right? Top tier lacrosse uh, content. But he was saying that Justin Gutterding might even come out of the box for that team, right? Short stick matchup on Justin Gutterding. I mean, give me give me a short stick that's gonna take that guy I out like of the box. That. Exactly. And now Rambo's playing behind the net, maybe two on threes and, and other uneven sets. So I don't know. We'll Damn. see. I like we'll see. that. What was the final of that game? Uh, that was 11-6, I believe was the final. Yeah. 11-6 water dogs. So my MVP again, Ryan Brown, um, had a hat trick, which again, if you guys have followed Ryan Brown, nothing special, but I mean, some of the shots he was taking is just insane. Ryan Conrad also had a hat trick, could have given it to him, but water dogs, red hots. This is a huge victory for them, especially over the whip snakes heading into the playoffs. Um, Wow. Moving on, Atlas Cannons. James, what you got? Good. So this was a very good game and a big game for me because I want to see what the Cannons have uh, kind of moving into the second half of the season. They had, you know, one of my statistics for them was they've lost, I think, six or seven games by one goal. So one ground ball, one faceoff goes their way. Maybe they're in the mix, but at the end of the day, they're not. So, um Brian Costabile was the game changer in this game, and maybe he's the game changer for the Atlas. He is one of the best midfielders in the league. He dodges well. He dodges on poles, short stick. He's also a, a big two-point threat as well. Um, Concanon was out of the game for the Atlas, so I was very curious kind of how their backup was going to play. That was, that was very, very curious to me. And my question to anybody who watches the Cannons play, and obviously to you, Matt, is do you think Paul Rabel is healthy right now? Um, I'm just going to stop there because he's been a dominating midfielder. His stats were, you know, you know, out of this world. He was told that he was washed and he was old. He was only playing for publicity reasons. And then he was the leading goal scorer and now he's kind of tailed off. So do you think he's healthy or do you think it's an issue with their, I don't know, team management or what? So I thought about this too. It's definitely something that you have to notice. So I was definitely thinking the same thing as first thought you have is, is he injured when he's playing like that? But right which I think is the more likely story. The flip side of that is I'm wondering if as a leader in this league, he's kind of being the veteran quarterback game manager of letting these younger guys shine. Yep. But I don't know. I, I look at how competitive Paul Rabel has been in his career. And I find that hard to believe very hard, especially with a team that's competing. That's not very high in the rankings right now. I mean, mm-hmm. They're right in the middle, but I, I don't see that. I, I have to say he's injured. Yep. Because his stat is his stat line for this game was horrendous. So yeah, I mean, he had it, zero points. He uh, had five shots, zero percent from the field. Um, he wasn't even really. Do- he, I mean, yeah, right. He's not even really dodging. He's just using himself as like a pick. So I don't know. Maybe by the end of the year he might be healthy. But that was definitely a factor because you don't have to put a poll on Paul Rabel right now. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Um, no, no loud- but I, I do yeah. say with how hot Lyle is, is I'm wondering if a coach is saying, let's feed the hot hand. Yep. I mean, that that's a hundred percent true as well. I mean, it's a, you know, you, you literally play whoever is hot regardless of 
talent, skill, age, everything else. So Lyle was somebody who I kind of thought was injured or maybe wasn't really finding his place with the Cannons. But after this game, I mean, I think all that was put to bed. He had an amazing game. He looked super comfortable. Um, he kind of plays at five and five, which anybody listening who doesn't play lacrosse, it's five yards out, five yards up. And you can kind of see behind the net, you can see the middle of the field, but because he plays with that Native American style of playing backhanded and one hand and everything else, I mean, the entire field's open to him. So he dominated. And what was cool about Lyle is he was actually guarded by a guy who was from our town, uh, Matt, uh, Michael Rexrod, who actually held Lyle to zero goals in his first game. Rexrod was also at Loudoun County with Kevin Rogers. I think they won a state championship together. And I got to coach with him for a summer. And the kid, is a, he's a beast. He's an animal. And he just got pulled up um, recently to their team, and he was on Lyle all game and really gave him fits. So I think one of the biggest issues for the Atlas in this game was Romar Dennis was 0% from the field. He had his jump shot going, but it just wasn't on cage, kind of like it was those other years. And Docs Aiken has really found his place on this team. And I know, Matt, as a college lacrosse advocate, you know, leading leading midfield scorer in UVA history, uh, he's really found his place on the team. He's really dominating where he can. So a couple stats that kind of, like, stood out to me. Um, the Cannons won six face-offs, six. So it was 78% to 20%. That was the Delta. But the six game was actually – first half? Uh, no. <laughs> the entire game. <laughs> yes, because Trevor yeah. Trevor was, I think, seven, yeah, he was 78% on the day. They had the Yikes. ball whenever they wanted to. I mean, it was – but it was 63% save percentage for the Cannons and, and only 45 for the Atlas. Mm. So, very interesting. Atlas had 50 shots while the Cannons had 32. This is a kind of good little teaser trailer we'll say about something we're going to teach today, but the importance of face-offs is really showing its face in games like these because the final for the game was 13-12. Atlas came out on top. But Atlas had 50 shots. Cannons had 32. And basically, they're just playing the game of, we're going to shoot more because we have the ball more with Trevor, and that's it. We can lose in other stats. It doesn't really matter. We always have the ball. We're going to put the ball in the cage, and that's kind of what it's going to be. So as the MVP for the game, I have Trevor, not only because he was 78% from the X, but he also had a goal. So at that point, they played make it take it for almost two quarters. So it was amazing to watch. Trevor is a game changer just like TD is. These teams that don't have a dominant faceoff guy, they're really going to struggle if they can't put the, the ball in the net. So Cannons are kind of in a tough place. They really need to find their own. Maybe find a little more consistent goaltending, but 13-12 final, Atlas took it. And honestly, the Atlas are looking very, very, very good. Yeah, I, I think like we've seen the last few years is that's where you're going to see teams get separated in the postseason. Is It's going to come down a lot to face-offs. Um, right. But when you look at this game, Atlas pretty much won every category. I mean, shots, uh, shot percentage was lower for Atlas, but... They had less turnovers. They had more ground balls. They had more faceoffs. I yep. mean, when you, when you win all those categories, chances are you're not going to lose the game. This game was a lot closer than I thought it would be. I thought Redwoods yeah. would win by at least three goals. Me too. And what's really scary is we didn't say Jeff Teat's name. He had a very quiet game, and you know this is a guy who's put up seven eight points in a game. So if he is is hot, and basically, I think that Jeff plays better when Romar plays better. If Romar is hitting those on-the-run jump shots from the left alley, right alley, as a defender, you now have to slide up the field, and now Jeff's playing one-on-one with the goalie. They didn't have that this game. So when everything clicks, 
at least seem unbeatable. And I think even when they get Con Cannon back, they're, they're going to really be that powerful team. So it was a really good game. If you want to see basically how face-offs are done, go check out that game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of face-offs, that wraps up our game recaps. Um, so next up is wall ball, which is where we do a 101 education segment for, again, for folks just kind of getting into lacrosse. Um, so basically we're going to pick one topic every week and just kind of go over it for a few minutes. Uh, this week we're going to do face-offs. So James, go ahead and give everyone an idea of face-offs in lacrosse, how they work, and really why they're so important in this game. Got it. So face-offs are really interesting in the game of lacrosse because a lot of the times your face-off guy isn't exactly your best shooter nor your best athlete, your tallest guy, your shortest guy. It's been very interesting to see that wrestlers are even ended up being really good face-off guys because as they go down, they put the back of their sticks to the ball. First, it's about speed and jumping the whistle and timing the whistle of the referee. But over the years, refs have actually changed their cadence so it make it harder and harder for people to actually clamp and get out. The rules for face-offs have changed so much because there was times where people would just sit on the ball we want more wing play. We want the ball to be in play as quick as possible. And sometimes we don't really want domination. But these face-off guys are able to get the clamp on the ball and then direct it even forward for a fast break behind them, which is safer, or maybe to the right and left where they can win a ground ball. And it's one of the most fun aspects of the game. There's some rumors that some people want to take it out because people don't understand how important make-it-take-it lacrosse is. So to put this in kind of reference to basketball, if you were going against the Warriors, right, and the only way to slow down that offense was to keep the ball out of the offense's hands. In basketball, you don't have a choice. Once you score, Curry gets the ball regardless. What if there was a way that after you score, you could get the ball back and Curry wouldn't see the ball for an entire quarter? How big would this be as far as shutting down dominant offenses? I'm looking at the stats right now. TD's at 67%. Trevor is at 66%. The correlation between a good face-off guy and a successful team is very high. And that's something For we talked about. For those of you who still don't understand, go back and watch the Hawks Sixer series in this past playoffs. Exactly. Exactly. Trey Young makes a three, immediately foul Ben Simmons, going to miss both three throws. That's called make it, take it. It's make it, make take it. Make a three and get the ball right back. It's that is a the huge momentum shift. Sixers blew a 26 point lead to lose the game. I'm not salty at all. I was going to say, if you guys didn't know, Matt's a, Matt's a Sixers fan, but it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it, was, it was a tough game. To but, your point. That's a good his, analogy, point, his point is so spot on, though. The only way to slow down that Sixers offense at, at the time was to take the ball out. Now, in basketball, you have to foul and hope they miss. In lacrosse, you literally get to play, make it, take it. So you can get an offensive guy out of their rhythm by just saying, let's not let him get the ball. And what was so interesting, and I guess, Matt, I, I, I kind of want your take on this, is TD was taken, obviously, very high in the draft by the Redwoods when there was a lot of good guys on the board. And lacrosse Twitter was like, oh, you guys took a face-off guy first. Is this the right idea? And I thought it was a no-brainer. So I'm, I'm curious your thought on if there's a good face-off guy on the board, and but below that you have you know, a midfielder like a Romar Dennis, you have maybe a wing guy like a, like a Costabile or, or what have you. Do you take the face-off guy every time, or you know, do you build around your team? I, I mean, yeah. I, I, obviously, Redwoods received backlash for taking him. Um, I keep comparing it to the NFL with offensive line. When you see a team take a offensive lineman in a lottery pick, which James being a Washington football team fan, um, taking Brandon Scherf, Eagles took Lane Johnson top 10. 
it's not a sexy pick. There's going to be attackmen. There's going to be middies, some defenders if they're really good, maybe right. even a goaltender. It, it's not a sexy pick. It's not a guy who's going to be on the field 100% of the game, obviously. But I think as we're seeing the PLL evolve, teams are starting to realize it, it's not a coincidence that the team's lowest in the rankings are usually worse, the worst in faceoff percentages. So. Yep. I think TD was kind of the jumping off point of someone taking a risk for a really good faceoff guy who, yes, doesn't bring a ton more value besides that, but he does his job. Right. Um, I think right. we're going to see more teams, you know, have a higher priority with that in the draft, which is going to work to their benefit after they draft him. I agree. And this is going to kind of be a dagger to any Maryland fan who's been watching lacrosse over the last like five or six years. I watched every Maryland game I could. I mean, I go back and I watched the Brown Maryland of 2017. And I was watching, I think, the second year when you guys have to understand Colin Heacock, Matt Rambo, and Dylan Maltz were all on an attack line for Maryland. And they dominated. And they were so good. DMC. And I, yeah, Run DMC was their nickname. And they were that good. I mean, Colin Heacock's one of the best midfielders now on the Chrome. I think you guys know Rambo a little bit. And Dylan played for the Whip Snakes last year. And I was watching these games and I was like, how did you guys not win three championships? And I realized because they never saw the ball. It didn't matter. Like that good, that good lineup, probably one of the best attack lineups we've seen in the last 10 years. It didn't matter because they didn't have the ball. And I, you know, I wanted to text Dylan or one of the guys and just be like, why didn't you guys recruit a face-off guy? You guys were a face-off guy away. So, yeah. you know, a lot of times we say uh, an NFL team is a quarterback away. You know, a basketball team is a shooter away. I mean, you can't do anything without a good face-off guy. So, I think, and we kind of talked about this earlier, but like the archers get away with not having a great face-off guy because their offense is insane and they shoot so much and they score so often. So it's like, maybe we'll only get the ball four times in a quarter, but we're going to score three times, right? And that's how they kind of get away with it. Now the Redwoods have the best face-off guy in the league, but they don't convert on everything. And Matt, how, how many turnovers did they have in the last game? Uh, was it 20, 17? Yeah. 23. Something like that. So they always have the ball, but they're turning it over, and that's the only reason. And for a team, if your issue is always having the ball and turning it over, that's a good prop to have. I mean, you can work on possession. So this was kind of like our quick six about um, face-off guys, why they're important, and uh, every week we're going to have a topic that we kind of broach. And obviously as time goes on, we're going to want people to kind of just chime in and ask us to broach on the topic, and we can talk about it. But Faceoff was the one today, and I think anything we learned is you got to have a good faceoff guy to go far. No comeback happens in lacrosse without a faceoff guy. So, so we got yeah, that. Absolutely. And if you guys do have suggestions for a wall ball topic, uh, hit us up at PLL Quick Sticks. That's S T I X on Twitter, Instagram, and we'll certainly take it into consideration. Um, James, thanks for that. Let's move on to predictions for next week. Let's do it. We've got a pretty dope weekend of games coming up some of which yep. have huge implications for playoff seating uh first game i'm seeing is redwoods whip snakes who do you like i like redwoods unless matt rambo is healthy matt rambo is healthy and playing i got whip snakes all day but if he's not i got redwoods what about you uh see yeah i just i wasn't taking rambo into consideration but i think either way i'm going redwoods um now does gutterding play next week is that how that um, – is there a holdover? Because if, so cause if not – He didn't play this past weekend. For the Chrome. For the trade, yeah. So right, okay. 
Well, that's gonna be that's gonna be a big uh, big question mark. Okay, what else you that got? That would be huge. Um, next game, Archer's Chaos. I'm gonna go first. I am all aboard the Archer's train right now. I, yep. for the time being, I don't see anyone beating this team right now. I I do think the Chaos are kind of coming alive, but it's not gonna be enough for the Archers. What about yep. you? Um, you know, I I don't mean to repeat everything you just said, but I love the Chaos to death. But Archer's. Uh, I, I thought they were an Adam Gittleman away for a second, and he he's back. And other than that, they have top tier offense, amazing ball movement. I think I think Archer's take. I think Archer's take it probably by like five or six. Mm. Atlas Water Dogs. I'm gonna take Atlas in that one. Um, it, it's crazy to think that some people would almost see that as like a, an underdog upset. No pun intended. But um, I want. I, I think Atlas. I think Jeff T comes back to life. And uh, I don't think Water Dogs have the goaltending to hang with what Atlas have on the attack. Uh, this is going to be the game of the weekend, I think. Absolutely. Um, I'm taking the underdogs. I'm taking the Water Dogs. Wow. Why, why is that? Why is that? I, I, so this is going to be a very high-scoring game. I yep. think both teams will be over – I want to say over – you know what? I'm going to say both teams will be over 15 goals. Okay. Okay. And yep. I mentioned this earlier to you. We still, as far as I know, have not seen a twenty-goal game this season. I don't right. We've seen, we've, we've seen nineteen. We've seen nineteen, but not, but not twenty. I think this will be the first twenty twenty-plus goal game for one team. Huh. Okay. I. This is very early to throw this out, but do do you have the Water Dogs as a possible championship team this year? Um. Because you're you're high on them, you're high. On them. I am, I am. I I don't see it as a possible championship. I really, okay. I think Atlas could be a possible championship. I don't see sure. them winning this game, but okay. I was just curious. I was just curious. I, no, I'm not ready to say that. No. Yep. Okay. Um. What What's the next one? Uh. Next is Cannons Chrome. Who do you got? I got Cannons this game. I think I think Lyle becomes his unguardable self. Um. And. I think the Chrome have have a lot to figure out moving forward. And uh, I don't know. This is really getting towards the end of the year. And I, I really thought Cannons were taking a jump when they kind of they took a backpedal this week. But I think Lyle takes over. I think Rabel gets back to his old form. And uh, I think Cannons take it. What about you? Yeah, no, I agree. I think Chrome is a mess. Just trade a gutty. Need help on defense. Yep. Um, Lyle, and I, I, I agree. I think Paul Rabel is going to come back with a vengeance. Him and Lyle sure. are going to be way too much. So I'm taking Cannons. Yep. Yep. Um, Chaos Redwoods. This is such a fun game. This is such this a fun game. A fun I mean, game. this is this is so fun. <laughs> so, uh, when I was going through these earlier, this was probably one of the hardest ones. But I'm actually going to take Chaos in this game. Sure. Um, I and, and this is interesting because I'm going to say a lot of things I said against. That's a homer pick. Game. That's a homer pick. Thousand percent. Thousand percent. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, hundred percent. I just watching the Chaos this weekend. I really realized like. They're almost doing what they did last year, right? They got hot right before the tournament and they were, you know, they won four and oh. Andy Towers has that team cooking. And the Canadians are really playing well together and they seem to really put the ball in the back of the net. So I think Chaos win it. Um, but I think it's gonna be a very close game. I think it's gonna be, you know, one goal game. What about you? Uh I I went back and forth. I actually I really wanted to pick Chaos in this game. Sure. Because I do I could absolutely see this happening. I think it still might but yeah. I'm, I'm taking redwoods only because the chaos just clinched a playoff spot i don't think they thought they were going to clinch it that early so i think this is a bit of a quote-unquote trap game for them I trap game with a honeymoon phase yes, yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yep. so yep. i think 
I also have Redwoods losing to Whip Snakes earlier in the weekend, so I think they're going to come back and be like, "Look, we lost to a good team. We got to beat the Chaos. We have For to sure. win this game." So For sure. Chaos offense is starting to click. I don't think it's going to be enough. This game's going to be a lot closer than people are thinking, though. Absolutely. I, I think I think Redwoods win by maybe two goals. And I think for anyone who's maybe watched a lot of college lacrosse or not into PLL, just to kind of put this league in perspective, the Redwoods have a lineup of Miles Jones, Sergio Perkovic, and Kyle Harrison, and sometimes Jules Hennenberg. And Mm. this team is in no way favored to win. They're not arguably the best team in the league. Like, we're not, without a doubt, saying they're the best. So think about, like, the talent that's on the field for these teams. That That is a midfield lineup. And that's a very good lineup, but they are still not the best in the league that we're watching. So just to put that in perspective for our college fans. Dude, I, yeah. Going it sounds from insane. NCAA it sounds insane. to this league is it, – it's more than going from college football to the pros. Cause it's it is. Like, it's everybody you idolized in college right. just playing, it, playing together. I mean, Miles Jones talks about he started playing lacrosse because of Kyle Harrison, and now they're on the line together. I mean, That's what I'm saying. Think about that. I mean, that's me throwing up alley to LeBron one day, which – well, that's a special. Well, yeah, it's fine. That's fine. But, okay. <laughs> um, all right, last next, game of the weekend, next. Archers Whip Snakes. Uh, I'm going to go first. This is – shit, this might be the game of the weekend, actually. I don't know. This would yep. be a good game. Um, Very. I, again, it's going to be different if Gutterding and Rambo both play. I could certainly see Whip Snakes pulling out the upset. I think Archers win by one goal. This is going to come down to the wire. I think a winner is determined in the last 60 seconds of the game. But I'm going to take yep. Archers. Archers. Um, I have the same. I think if Adam Gittleman continues to play as well as he is, I mean, I, it's really hard to count this Archers team out with a good goalie and a attack and midfield of just so much talent. So I think Archers take it. But I think just like you, maybe one two goal game. But that's about it. Yeah, I mean, I I think you'd be naive to overlook their uh, short stick defensive middies right now right um, they're playing the best they have all season but whip snakes offense could be a lot better next week because i guess like you know and this happens in the nba a lot so i'm curious you know i'm not saying they're doing load management but do they hold out rambo until he's absolutely healthy knowing that only one team doesn't make the playoffs right i could see that they'll be there either way right and so they'd rather be there with a rambo that is healthy versus trying to push to get what a top seed to still go against a guy like the water dogs, you know, like it's, it, it doesn't seem that that would be a smart move. I'm not saying they're doing anything like behind closed doors and stuff that shouldn't be happening, but what is the incentive for Rambo to play right now when they're actually winning a couple games, they're playing fine. Okay. Enough to get in the playoffs. And then when Rambo comes back, they become the whip snakes that we've seen the last two years who've dominated the league. Yeah. Which I mean, whip snakes right now are not, they're the five seed. They're the five seed, right? Out okay. of, out of with, seven. With two more games? With, sorry, two more weekends to go? Yeah. With so, I mean, more. to okay. your point, they're, they're not going to be playing a bad team in the playoffs. They're going to be playing a very good team. So, I think to your point is it might be worth sitting Rambo, yep. maybe even Gutterding, just to get them 100% healthy so that when you do have that playoff game, everyone's ready to go. Or, right, let, let's take it a step further, right? You take Gutterding, you put him in the lineup for three games, two games, get you get yourself in a good position, maybe push far in the playoffs, and then leverage Gutterding as a trading piece. Because at the end of the day, the Whipsings don't need attackmen. They don't. That's no, not something like not. they only need attackmen because Rambo's out. So it's like 
maybe you you know package him with something and get something pretty pretty big back because it's it's funny we're talking about Gutterding like he's some you know <laughs> some guy who like takes takes feeds inside and that's it. I mean he he ran Duke's offense for years. Yeah, and was one of the star. best. Right. So it's it, it, coach is playing chess. We're just playing checkers. I mean, he has two rings. You know what I mean? It's true. He has two it's rings true. in a very talented league. So he, he's definitely played the long game. So I'm very curious as to what they're going to do with Rambo and Gutterding. But, you know, that will be uh, that will be an, an, another week's episode. Yeah. Well, again, we've got a great weekend of games coming up. That is all we have for this week. Uh, again, we will be coming to you guys every Monday for the recap of next week's games and another wall ball session. Until then, thanks for tuning in to Quick Sticks, and we will see you guys next week. Peace. Thanks, guys. Peace.